When you first start your business, chances are you'll come across people who don't believe in you. Maybe they don't get your idea, or they don't think you have the right experience, or maybe they're just haters. Whatever the reason, it doesn't matter because the only person that needs to believe in what you're building, at least to start, is you. Today's guest, Allison Clare, had a ton of people who gave her funny looks when she said she was starting a business. Her dad, one of her first customers, and banks who denied her a loan. Some of that doubt came from the fact that she was trying to start a jewelry business without any jewelry experience. But that didn't stop her. It actually gave her more fuel to prove those doubters wrong. It turns out, Allison had the perfect background for what she was trying to do. At the time, she was working in administration at San Diego State, and she wanted to represent her alma mater, University of Washington, at football games and fancy events without looking tacky in, say, a hoodie. So she started thinking, what would it look like to show off your school spirit in a more classy and sophisticated way? That's how her brand, Allison Clare, was born. Today, they sell licensed, fine jewelry so that you can show off your school spirit with a gold necklace, a silver ring, or diamond earrings. Fast forward five years, Allison Clare has made almost a million dollars in sales and over a thousand orders, as mainly a one-woman show. The brand is now a licensed jeweler for eight schools and counting, including the University of Washington, University of Arizona, and Virginia Tech. Allison has certainly proved those doubters wrong. Today, she's here to tell the tale of how she dove headfirst into a new industry, teaching herself jewelry design and manufacturing, and some of the sacrifices she had to make to build a million-dollar brand. If you enjoy this episode, I would love to know where you're tuning in from. Take a picture of where you're listening from and tag me on a story at Inside Out with Jane. I'll reshare it. All right, on to the show. This is Inside Out with Jane Z, the podcast that helps you build a thriving business without losing your mind. My name is Jane, and my mission is to help you build and grow your business while having time for the people and things that matter in your life. Join me every Tuesday as I sit down with an entrepreneur who's already building their dream business. We'll walk through their journey, tips for success, and how to mentally prepare for the long road ahead. Because building your dream business and dream life is the long game. And that's what we're all about right here on Inside Out. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start off talking about Allison Claire. I'd love to hear a bit about your business and where the idea came from. Long story short, I'm from San Diego. I went to University of Washington. After I graduated, I went back home to San Diego for 12 years. And I missed being around my Husky friends. I missed going to games. At the time, I was working at San Diego State University. And I had been there for about seven years. And I was thinking about applying at Merrill Lynch, where my dad was working. And I needed to submit a business plan. There was a lecture in town by a San Diego State professor, and it was about business plans. So I went, and the first thing he says is, don't write a business plan. Hmm. So that didn't really work for me. 
So we ended up meeting later and just kind of telling him a lot about my situation. And my job was really great because I had a lot of flexibility. And what I mean by flexibility is the ability to go on vacation or come in a little later. Those things were important to me. It allowed me to go to Husky Games up in Seattle or travel across the country. The mentor, again, he was a professor at San Diego State. He basically said, Allison, you're not living. And I was like, huh? What do you mean? Hmm. And it kind of hit me. And I understood it because I felt like I was going through the motions. I was doing the nine to five. I was doing what everybody else was doing, going to work, working out, making dinner, going to bed, hating Mondays, hating Sundays, loving Fridays. And I was about 32 or 33 at the time. And I really felt like this can't be my purpose. This can't be my life. Like this is not okay. This is not fulfilling enough for me. I had already started researching about collegiate fine jewelry. So I did that for a couple of years. I knew I needed a change. So I ended up moving to Seattle, taking a job at University of Washington, working there for a couple of months. My contract there ended. And the very next day, I just decided to go for it. I knew in my heart of hearts that it would work. I love the idea of working more, working longer, working harder, and not being constricted by work hours and or creative ideas or design. There's a quote, it says, I'm the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul. Hmm. I love that. And I really felt like I had the ability and the desire to take my future and my destiny and my fate into my own hands and prove that I could do it. And that you did. Yeah, that was five years ago almost. Let's talk a bit about your product because you didn't necessarily have a jewelry background and you had to learn jewelry, design, manufacturing, kind of all on your own, right? Like what was that process like? Right. So I have a habit of jumping into things that are really complex and hard. My job at San Diego State was a big undertaking. I managed the Senate office, which is the governing body of the university. And it required a lot of institutional knowledge to not only work in the job, but stay there for as long as I did. So same type of thing with Allison Claire, my business. I didn't have business experience. I didn't have my jewelry experience. I didn't have licensing experience. I just thought, I'll figure it out. And I wanted to continue to keep learning, so I didn't mind how long it took to figure out how to make it work. Mm. Um, it's so crazy to think back. <laughs> it's pretty brave to do that. Ignorance is bliss, I guess. I just, <laughs> I didn't know, but I loved the idea and I didn't care. I was going to do it. I was going to figure it out. If I heard no, I was going to move on to the next person. Wow. That's, yeah, that's definitely brave. Not many people can just leave a job and jump right into your own thing without knowing anything about the industry. Wild. Yeah. What's the difference between jewelry and fine jewelry? Is that an industry term? Great question. <laughs> so fine jewelry would be sterling silver, gold, diamonds, gemstones. Mm. And then costume jewelry is basically what everything else is. Okay. Sometimes it might be some silver or might be plated, gold plated, mm -hmm. which doesn't last as long in most cases. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so you deal with the luxury stuff. I do. <laughs> Fancy. 
So how did you go about learning what, what you needed to? I'm guessing like you started approaching manufacturers and probably got no's at the beginning. What was that process like? I was most intimidated by, and what I started working on first is the licensing process, Mm. which I was pretty afraid that I was just going to get a flat out no. Mm -hmm. So that was a big learning curve. Manufacturing, I basically just Googled different keywords, got in contact with quite a few. It was was a little hard in the beginning because I didn't know the language Mm. and you could tell I was an outsider. I mean, it really only took one or two for me to start. And since then, I've actually moved on to other manufacturers. The first one closed down and the other one was not in America. And Mm. I wanted to move everything to the state side. So I'm still learning about jewelry and how it's made, casting process, or some of it we cut from sheet metal, Mm. skinny sheet. But yeah, it was a little bit harder in the beginning. Yeah. Wow. So is the whole business based in the U.S. now? It is. Wow. That's huge. It is. It's a big difference. The quality overseas was great, Mm -hmm. but the timelines were way too long. Oh. Did you just have to order months in ahead because of shipping and all that? Well, we moved to carrying inventory Mm -hmm. to made to order. Mm. Someone would place an order and then sometimes it would take two or three, four months and that's not acceptable. Mm. So... Now we get an order. We have a timeline of about two to four weeks. Sometimes we can do it quicker. Mm-hmm. And it's all either here in Seattle or New York or where okay. our factories are. Now. Wow. That's pretty quick turnaround, two to four weeks. Can you tell the story of how you thought about doing fine jewelry in the beginning? Because it was something about going to certain events and you were like, oh, I want to wear something nicer than a hoodie. Yes. So towards the end of my time in San Diego, I contacted the president of the University of Washington alumni chapter in San Diego. And the chapter needed to be invigorated. We had a couple rough years with a coach that shall go unnamed. And our viewing parties were just very boring and blah. So I took over, volunteered to get some younger kids in there, get some pictures up on social media, show everybody we're having fun. And at the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, does a really good job throughout the year of courting the Pac-12 teams. And what I mean by that is they have happy hours, they have basketball tournaments, and then whoever's picked to play in the game gets to walk in the parade and be not on the field before the game. And so we were starting to get involved with the other Pac-12 chapters in San Diego, and we would go to happy hours at semi-fancy places, and I would think, okay, like, what am I going to wear? A t-shirt mm. to show that we're dub, uh, a purple sweater, and also, how do I look like a leader? I don't want to look like a sorority girl anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, so I always ended up wearing either a purple sweater or all black, and I have this you can't really see it, but this purple David Yerman oh, bracelet cool. that for me was pretty much it as far as purple went. And then at the same time, San Diego State basketball was doing really, really well. Hottest ticket in town. So much fun. Chargers were pretty boring at that point. Padres were pretty boring at that point. <laughs> and since I worked with the administrators on campus, I would see them at the games. And all the women, most of the time, were wearing black pants, red top, or red blazer. 
with nothing SDSU. Mm. That was happening at the same time as I was trying to lead the San Diego chapter. And then part of my job was buying gifts for outgoing presidents and provosts. And I would present that gift in front of 200 people, including the president of the school, the deans, students, important people. It was embarrassing because it was hard to find things that I thought that they would really like. They have enough plaques. I don't really know these people very well, so it's hard to get a super personalized gift. So one year I bought roses, two dozen red roses for an outgoing provost. So then that would happen every year and it just gave me more fuel to the fire to think that this could actually work. Did you end up going back to San Diego State and working with them? I did for a little bit, actually. I made a little tiny lapel pin said SDSU and it had a little ruby in it. Oh. Um, yeah, so that's super fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm not licensed with them, but I had an internal license to work on that project. Hmm. So what is the licensing process? Like, is that like you become the fine jewelry provider for a, a college? No, nothing is exclusive, okay. at least not in my category of jewelry. Okay. Schools do respect and take care of their licensees. University of Washington, I hope, wouldn't bring on 10 new fine jewelers. Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, I've heard that licensing, for schools at least, was about getting as many licensees as possible. And within the last five-ish years, they've really focused on having a fewer number of licensees mm -hmm. that can make product for the different categories, whether it's apparel or hats or pillows or chairs or mm. kitchen stuff, all that stuff. So no, it's not exclusive. There aren't many licensees that do what I do. It is a pretty big niche, but I'm shocked at how well my business has done. I never thought we'd be where we are. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice when customers... They see my product and they smile and they're so excited and it's really fun. It's really nice feeling when I get nice notes from people. Oh, you do beautiful work. I love it. It confirms my idea and the dream. Mm -hmm. So it's still really nice to hear. Yeah. What can you share about the success that you have seen so far? We have over a thousand orders. We've been in business almost five years. Right now I have seven licensees. University of Washington, Washington State, Gonzaga, Virginia Tech, Oklahoma, Alabama, and University of Arizona. I still work all by myself. I have Dang. had an assistant before, but COVID got started, and so that ended. So right now I do everything. Um, One woman scaling. show over here. <laughs> it's hard when you do it by yourself, but growth is a good problem to have. What else? Oh, I was the top licensee my very first quarter at University of Washington. So that's a number based on revenue. That was super exciting. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Just because I was. That's amazing. And along the way, you had to learn a ton and you faced a ton of challenges. Last time we talked, you mentioned there are certain things about being a female founder and how people perceive you makes a big difference in whether you get a deal or a business loan. What are some things you can share that you feel like were challenges because you came in as a woman and how did you overcome that? Sure. In the beginning, it was a lot of, oh, that's really cute. You want to try to start a business. Oh, wow. Do you make all the jewelry at home? 
mm. like a crack or something. So that was a little bit hurtful, especially coming from my friends or one, one of my friends, at least, at least one person that I spoke to at one of the universities, they didn't really think it would work probably because I had no experience. I guess they had good reason <laughs> for thinking it. Mm-hmm. And then as far as trying to get a loan at a bank, unbelievable. I tried a couple times throughout the five years and they kind of just look at you like you're crazy. Like, why do you think you can get a loan? Mm. I think part of that is some banks only work with businesses that have a certain amount of revenue per year, but it was a very, not a good experience Mm. asking and just having kind of like, oh, that's really cute. I want to start a business, you know? That's so aggravating. I'm the type of person that it's like, if someone doesn't believe in me, I'm like, I'm going to show you. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I finally did end up getting a line of credit at a bank up here. So that's super exciting. That's really exciting. I'm too scared to touch it, but (laughs) it'll be good. Once I get marketing going a little bit stronger, it'll be nice to have the capital to invest in paid ads sell a bunch of stuff, pay back the line of credit, and then keep that cycle going. Other than that, I think about being a woman, I think people still don't think it's like a real business. Mm. They just think I'm hanging out, making jewelry at home. And what it is, is I've worked very, very, very hard on this business. The first two years, I worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week except two or three weeks a year. So I don't really know how to get around it or how, if I should even be trying to prove to anybody that it's a legit business, but it does have something to be do with being a woman, mm-hmm. how you look, how you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the female founders in the audience, I think a lot of us experience that. For me, I look way younger than I am, so that's a factor too. It sucks when people don't take you seriously and you're actually doing the work. At the end of the day, there's certain people that matter, of course, and others that you just have to let go. I don't know if you're comfortable sharing about your dad, but he was one of the ones that really didn't agree with your decision to do this business. But has he come around? Oh, yes. Okay. He's definitely come around. Oh, good. Shocked that I've been able to do what I'm doing. Um, has apologized, oh, good. but it was hard at the beginning. You know, I, I understand where he's coming from and that he wants his children to have a job that has benefits and they're secure and he doesn't have to worry about his grown children. But it was very hard in the beginning to have someone that wasn't as excited as me. But mm-hmm. now actually it's really fun to share in the excitement when things happen with him because he's a money guy too. Mm. He's in wealth management and a little bit more into sports than my mom. So now it's fun to share in the, hey dad, like we did X amount this month or I just got Clemson or we got Alabama. So yeah, he came around. He's actually, both of my parents have actually graciously invested in my business. I'm very lucky that they have been able to do that for me. That is like the best 180. That's amazing. Did you grow up playing sports? I was a cheerleader. Oh. Yeah, in San Diego. So uh, I cheered on a high school team and an all-star team. And we actually won nationals, USA nationals in my high school. Wow. And this was back in the beginning when all-star cheerleading was very, very, very new. So yeah, that's part of where my love of UW comes from is that I've all, well, not always, since high school, 
really loved the tradition and the school spirit. And I loved all that. And actually my experience at San Diego State, because I was working with staff, faculty, and basically all of the governing policies that run the university, those eight years have helped me significantly with my business now, because now I'm working with universities and I know where to go mm. and I know who to ask. I know who's going to be really bu busy and not get the email and maybe I should work with the assistant. So it's interesting how that came full circle. Okay. The story is coming together. It makes so much sense that, you know, your cheerleading background, it's like, that's the why of it, right? Like you care so much about school spirit and, and that whole world. And then your whole experience working at San Diego state, it's like, you know, how budgets work, you know, who to talk to yeah. and all of that, which like so many startups trying to go into education have to learn that from scratch. Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. That all comes like that. It all makes sense in hindsight. When you're in it, it's like, what's going on? Yeah. When I was in it, I just wanted a better paying job. Right. And we talked about that last time. Thank God I didn't get one. Because mm. if I had, I would have created a lifestyle I couldn't afford and I wouldn't have been able to start the business. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to cut much out of my life to start the business because I didn't have expensive homes and cars and tricks and clothes and credit cards. Mm. Uh, so even that's pretty interesting to look back and think, dang, I was being set up for something much more grand and exciting by going through the motions for a couple of years. Mm, yeah. And now you're, you're so much more content as a person, right? We talked about last time too, how you were going through depression before this and building your business kind of helped you cure that. It did in more ways than one. This might seem silly, but I, for me, sleep is really important and I need it to function properly. And I just don't do well if I don't sleep. So it's very important to me as an entrepreneur that my day can be flexible. So for example, the Megan, Markle and Harry interview a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. was on to like 11 o'clock. My plan was to get up at five o'clock. Well, that didn't happen. So instead I just worked 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So not waking up when I don't want to wake up has significantly altered my brain chemistry and has made me a much happier person. Mm. I think back to what we were saying in the beginning, just that I have my own, like I can, I control my future. No one else does. Mm. Like I don't have to ask for my boss's approval or permission for anything. I'm just so much, much happier. Like it's incredible. Mm. I, I think putting in the work and then seeing the outcome or the sales or the article in the newspaper or being on the news, that's what keeps me going mm. is you can see what your hard work created mm. day in and day out. The other piece with regards to mental health, I would say is feeling like you have a purpose and not just again, going through those motions. I think it's important to talk about not necessarily balance, because I don't think there is balance when you're an entrepreneur. One of my mentors told me that. Awesome, there's no balance. You're running a business. <laughs> but I value the time that I spend with my friends and family and even on vacation much differently now than I used to. Because before, all of that time was like really exciting and really, really fun. But now what I do every day is also really, really exciting and really fun mm -hmm. that those relationships that I have with my family and my friends 
are only richer because of what I do. Mm, yeah. It's like you can bring your best self now. I totally get that about sleep. I'm like a, I need eight hours a day kind of gal. <laughs> it's crazy also to hear that you still work 12 hours a day, which if you're working for someone else, it's like, that's insane. Stop doing that. But when you are owning your future and you're working on your baby, it's like, well, of course you're going to put in that work, right? Yeah. I definitely don't do seven days a week anymore. Maybe a couple days I do 12, but it's funny when I work eight, it seems so fast. It doesn't seem like work. And I think that's why I'm not depressed anymore. And I think that's why I'm the happiest I've ever been. Mm. I love what I do every single day when I wake up. Like I'm excited. Like I pop out of bed. I'm so excited. I love making pretty things. I love growing and I'm so glad at my age, I just haven't stopped learning. What does a typical workday look like for you? It depends on the season. So graduation season's really busy. Football season's really big. Christmas is insane. Mm. Um, but it's different every day. Like I said, I do all parts of the business. So all the marketing, all the shipping, all the packaging, all the designing, all the customer service. At least for this year, I'm much more focused on Understanding where I have been and where I want to be with regards to social media, building that Alice and Claire community, revenue, how many licenses. The first five years, I definitely was, without COVID, it was very, okay, you dad sending an email about me. Awesome. Okay, now we're going to a football game and we're going to sell. Okay, now we're going to do this interview on NBC. So it, it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. Mm. And now that COVID has happened, I've had the time to sit back and reflect on, okay, this is where we're, we were, this is where we want to go. So that's really what I've been focus, focusing on this year. But yeah, no two days are alike. I think one day I'll get a little bit more help and maybe my days will be a little bit more routine. There's definitely phases and seasons to the business where you're first starting out and really just setting yourself up and learning. And then it's like getting your first customers and fulfilling those orders. And now you've got all the infrastructure set up. So now it's about like go forth and scale. And hopefully one day you'll get help because uh, yeah, you deserve a break, even if you love your work. Thanks girl, <laughs> I agree. I only, I'm only stronger when I take breaks. Mm. Speaking of strength, I want to hear your thoughts on resilience. Most people see rejection as this bad thing, right? Like you get rejected and it's like, oh no, this is a reflection of me or, or something like that. But you see it as an opportunity. Can you say more about that? Yes. I definitely feel like a different person now that I started this business. I've had to learn to not worry as much. I don't have the time to get caught up about worrying about something silly. And then as far as rejection goes, same idea. You just got to keep, keep it pushing, keep moving. But being an entrepreneur and owning this business, rejection doesn't bother me as much. I actually can learn from it. 99% of the people, whoever they may be, whether it's someone that I'm going to work with in digital marketing or a customer, your website's so beautiful. Everything's so beautiful, you know, on and on and on. But then the one person that said, hey, I think you can do this better. I'm like, tell me more, <laughs> you yeah. know, or... If someone says no, if a, if a license or a school says no, or a retailer in the beginning, I was in retailer stores, they would say no. It was hard because you don't really know why, mm -hmm. but it only made me work harder, propelled me much further than I would have gone if they would have had said yes. So it doesn't bother me anymore. 
Yeah. You're so much more bulletproof because of it. And I feel yes. like if you had a team, you could be like, hey, you know, what do you think of this and get their feedback. But if you're running on your own, you kind of need some external feedback to be like, is this the right thing? With regards to resilience, man, that might be the number one ingredient to running a successful business is being resilient. My best friend, hi, Melissa, <laughs> always tells me that you're so resilient. And I think being able to brush off the hard things and keep your eye on the prize, no matter what, I'd say that probably the number one ingredient. Mm -hmm. It can be easy to give up at a lot of points, you know? Mm -hmm. Definitely. What I've noticed going in and out of startup world is that the companies that make it in the end, so to speak, make it, are the ones who just stick it out the longest. If you stick around, you're going to figure out some kind of way to make money and grow and, and do what you need to do. Yep. Yep. So the, the determination to never give up and then just pick yourself back up when th hard things happen, it's just part of the journey mm -hmm. and it's part of the ride. And it's fun to look back this many years later. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how much time I spent trying to figure out the name of my business. Like, I regret that so much. Yeah. So how did you come to Alice and Claire? Oh, I tried to not use my name but luckily i think it's pretty thanks mom dad <laughs> and it works in the jewelry industry it feels a little narcissistic but it works in the jewelry industry and it's really hard to come up with a cool name it is yeah <laughs> uh-huh i mean for the podcast i brainstorm like 50 names and then i got people to right. vote on it on instagram and this whole thing i even paid someone to make a logo for it with another name and then i changed it i was like never mind can you do this instead <laughs> yeah that's like the most permanent thing right i mean you can change a brand but it's a lot of work it works. people call me claire it's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> i feel like it's melded with your identity now do you want to share about the Hearts Forever partnership you're doing with Homs? Sure. So Homs is a business here in Seattle. Race Porter is the founder of it. He is a former Husky football player and he started a company. He, like me, also has had issues with anxiety and depression and he wanted to bring more awareness to the topic. He had a little bit bigger stage than I did since he was on the football team, but he started wearing t-shirts with a heart on the sleeve mm. and his friends i think they teased him a little bit like dude why do you got a heart on your sleeve <laughs> and i wanted his t-shirts and i saw him on a commercial for a show here i think it's called seattle refined which is the show i was on so i contacted him and his logo is our little tiny itty bitty hearts mm. which i love i always wanted to design jewelry with it so we collaborated and we have a Hearts Forever collection and the purpose is to bring awareness to mental health. And a big part of that is, he actually taught me this, mental health doesn't mean depression, even though that's what I used to think. Mm. So there's a bit of stigma um, and depression is a little bit taboo, but mental health is the good parts too. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do to stay healthy mentally, whether that's, for me, it's knitting. I guess it's a form of meditation. I didn't know that, or it is a form of meditation. So looking at all aspects of mental health, not just the hard stuff like depression and anxiety, and being able to talk about it a lot easier. I remember when I was first having issues with it, probably, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, I didn't even really want to admit it or say the word mm -hmm. or 
go on any prescription because it was so, I don't know how to, like, bad and sad. Mm -hmm. So now what we've done together is there is an organization called Alinsky's Hope. It was started by parents of a young gentleman that played football at Washington State University. Unfortunately, he took his life. Mm. Very, very sad. And they're bringing awareness to mental health, not only at Washington State, but actually all throughout the country. So part of our sales and proceeds go to Lewinsky's Hope, which is kind of fun because Washington State is actually University of Washington's rival. But we're more like brothers or sisters since we are up here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. I love their logo. I love working with them. It feels good to give back. I'm excited that I get to be a part of that conversation, especially with the pandemic. I totally agree about the stigma around mental health and depression and anxiety. I'm also, you know, very new to this conversation in a public way. But I think in recent years, especially with the pandemic, everyone's just going through so much stress that we kind of have to talk about it, which is good for everyone, I think. Since our audience is a lot of entrepreneurs, what last words of advice would you leave? Don't let anyone take you away from your dream, number one. Stick with it. It's going to be hard. That'd be the first one. Second one, ask for help, whether it's you're depressed or you have anxiety or you need help with your business. There's a lot of people that are willing to help, whether it's someone sitting down to talk through your business plan or your digital media strategy. I think it's easy as an entrepreneur to just do it on your own. You know, I was the one in school projects that I'll just do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just just carrying the team. (laughs) Yes. So even I need to take a little bit of that medicine as far as asking for help. Like I should probably get a little bit more help, whether it's shipping or customer service. I'm the same way. It's so much easier giving out advice than taking it, but it's a work in progress. This has been amazing talking to you and learning more about your story and how you've grown as an entrepreneur. Thank you for bringing mental health to the top of the list and keeping it at the forefront. And I'd like to say if there are any entrepreneurs that have questions or need help or need a little pep talk, I'm more than happy to give back. There are a lot of people in the beginning that helped me along the way that I'm very thankful for. So I'm more than happy to do that. What's the best way to reach out to you? We could do email. Okay. Allison, A-L-L-I-S-O-N at allisonclair.com. Perfect. All right. Thank you, Allison. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. I'd love to hear what you got out of this episode. Take a picture of where you're listening from and tag me on a story at Inside Out with Jane. I'll be back here next Tuesday. And in the meantime, chat with you online. Bye.